Well, what is it that makes a person great? Now, I mean truly great because our culture is incredibly confused about greatness. Consider, for example, celebrities. As a culture, we are enamored with celebrities. Cue the paparazzi. Every year since 1999, Forbes magazine has come out with its Celebrity 100 list. To to make the list, you, you have to be a celebrity, which is measured by fame and influence. I mean, how many followers you have on Twitter or Instagram, I I guess, and you've got to make money, lots of money. So it actually ends up being a a list of highest paid, well-known people, celebrities. They have yet to release the list for this year. It usually comes out in July. But the celebrity with the highest earning power in 2020 last year was Kylie Jenner. I was disappointed too, who brought in a cool $590 million last year. Kanye West uh, came in a distant second at $170 million. Aren't, aren't they related? Or like were? By the way, the top 10 on Forbes' list last year were in order. Kylie Jenner and uh, Kanye West, Roger Federer. Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, Tyler Perry, Neymar, Howard Stern, LeBron James, and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Now, the moral to that story is soccer pays more than basketball, and perfume pays more than anything else. Incidentally, the previous year's number one, 2019, Taylor Swift did not even crack 2020's top 10. Easy come, easy go. Here's my question. Is celebrity status, star power, what makes a person truly great? Maybe you're like me and you could not pick Kylie out of a lineup. Without intending to offend, does the word great and the name Kylie Jenner belong in the same sentence? So, so why is it then that they wield such remarkable influence? One of them can post a tweet and, well, then the whole world is all a Twitter. Yeah, that was intentional. <laughs> what is it that makes a person great? If it is not celebrity status... Uh, uh, could we measure greatness in what one has? We could go back to Forbes where we would find again this year, and this is this year, Jeff Bezos is the richest man in the world for four years and counting. COVID helped with that, but he today has a net worth of 177 billion with a B, 177 billion dollars. Remember I said Kylie Jenner brought in 590 million last year. Bezos' net worth increased by 60 billion, 100 times as much. No wonder he could fund his flight to space this week and came back. Think about it. Even if Bezos put his money in a savings account at a bank that pays a paltry 1%, like what you're making. 
he'd have almost $2 billion a year to spend without ever touching the principal. $1.8 billion a year to spend that much in one year, you would have to spend almost $5 million a day. And you couldn't even take weekends off. Here's my question. Is that greatness? It doesn't quite do it for us either, does it? Jeff Bezos may belong on some list of greatness, but not because of what he has. I guess maybe what he did to acquire the wealth, I'll, I'll let you decide. But is he great because of the size of his bank account? Oh, and, and, and by the way, eight of the top ten on Forbes' list are Americans. That is from the U.S. Number two is Elon Musk. Number four is Bill Gates. And number five is Mark Zuckerberg. For those of you scoffing at Facebook, number five. Number three is some Frenchman I never heard of. Okay. If, it's, if it is not fame and it is not wealth, those things, listen, that our culture prizes and pursues, maybe greatness could be measured in position or title. So... Let's go with that. The highest position, at least office, that you can hold in our country is President of the United States. He, and I only say he because they've always been men, they don't have to be, but he used to be considered the most powerful person on the planet. But does being president make you great? I think we would all agree the position does not necessarily ensure greatness. We have had some great presidents and some not so great presidents, no. I am not going to suggest which is which. The title, whether it's president or king or queen or judge or congressperson or even doctor or lawyer, does not necessarily make you great. Once again, I think we would all agree that it is what you do in the position, what you do with the title that makes you great. So we're narrowing down our understanding of greatness, not who knows you, that is fame, not what you have, that is wealth, not what, uh, what position you possess, that is power, but rather, I'm suggesting it is what you do. And as you think of great people who have done great things, perhaps your mind does go to the political arena and you think of uh, someone like, and I can name some great presidents, at least in my estimation, Revisionist history notwithstanding, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, maybe Winston Churchill, great prime minister of England during World War II. Maybe you, you go to the world of science or medicine and think of Louis Pasteur or Thomas Edison or Albert Einstein. I don't know. Maybe your mind go, does go to the sports arena. We're always, aren't we trying to figure out who the goat is that's the greatest of all time? And you think of Jack Nicholas or Michael Jordan or Michael Jordan, and you should, um, <laughs> or Wayne Gretzky or Tom Brady, sorry to have to say that name, Cal Ripken, Roger Federer, Nadal or Djokovic, they've all got 20 major wins and they're in a dogfight. I'll let you figure out who the best soccer player of all time is. Perhaps some of you. Uh, would even think of spiritual giants like St. Augustine or Martin Luther or Jonathan Edwards or George Whitfield or, or Billy Graham. 
And then maybe some of you would get really spiritual and go right to the Bible and think of Abraham or Moses, David or Solomon, Deborah or Priscilla, Peter or Paul. With a, gr- with a group this size, we could probably come up with hundreds of names of great men and women of the past and even of the present. But let me ask, let me ask the question another way. Who is the greatest person who has ever lived? No, I mean outside of Jesus, okay? Outside of Jesus, who is the greatest person who has ever lived? In fact, if you ask Jesus that question, who would he say? Did you know he identified that person in the Bible? Matthew chapter 11, he said, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, that's pretty much everybody, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Jesus said the greatest man who ever lived was John the Baptist. Did he even make your list? Did he even come to mind? I find that interesting. Given our culture's understanding and fashion fascination of greatness found in fame, wealth, or power. John the Baptist. Remember, this is the guy who sent a couple of disciples to ask Jesus, are you the expected one? That is, are you the Messiah, or should we look for someone else? This is the guy who famously doubted Jesus, spiritual giant that he was. John only lived to be a little over 30 years of age. He spent the last few years of his adult life wearing Camel hair, clothing, and a leather belt. Okay. Some think he was a Nazarite because he was not allowed to drink wine, which would also mean that he never shaved. So by the time he entered his public ministry, he was looking pretty shaggy. His diet consisted of yum-yum, locusts, and wild honey. His entire ministry lasted maybe 18 months. Took me two years to get through Romans. He actually spent the last year of his life in jail before he was finally beheaded by Herod. That's his resume. Greatest man who ever lived? Is is all that what made him the greatest? Because of his designer clothes? His shaggy look, his appetizing diet, his stellar political career, his fame, his martyrdom? I I don't think so. Why would Jesus say that about his cousin John? Oh, his cousin John, that's it. It was a family thing. I don't think so. I think he was the greatest man who ever lived because of what he did during that short time of ministry. It was not his position uh, in relation to Jesus, his cousin. It, it, It was not what he had. To be clear, he had nothing. It wasn't his fame, his whole career, short as it was, was spent pointing not to himself. Listen, he was not signing up Twitter followers. His whole career was spent pointing to someone else. And by the way, that, that stellar career seemingly ended in miserable failure. I'm suggesting that what made John great was what he did. And what did John do? Find the answer to the question. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 7 to 15 today. Look at it with me. And these men, these are the, as they were going away, they, these are the men, that disciples of John, that sent to Jesus. 
Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. This is not John. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, because of that prophet, fulfillment of that prophecy, among those born of women there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. For, for all the prophets and, and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But why this today? Good question. Because we have spent the last several months, having just finished 3 John last week, we spent the last several months being reminded to, to love one another, to show hospitality to one another. So yes, let, let's, let's do that. Let's love one another. Let's have a special bond as family. But I want to remind us this morning that our love needs to extend beyond the walls of this building I want to remind us this morning that we must love the lost to pursue and love non-Christians. Because how easy it is to become so inwardly focused, love one another, that we forget that there are lost people all around us who desperately need the gospel. We must not become enamored with our culture's thoughts of greatness or success to Listen, to prize and pursue fleeting things like fame and fortune and power and Twitter followers. We can get, be so easily distracted, but we must do what John did, which makes him the goat, the greatest of all time. Here's what he did. He pointed people to Jesus. Here's the truth. Most of us know, understand that our responsibility is evangelism. Telling other people about Jesus. Struggled this week trying to say it differently than I've done before. We know the verses I've taught most of them. When considering this topic, there are the normal verses from which to choose. Matthew 28, the very last thing that he said to his disciples in that gospel. All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. We could go to Luke, his last words to his disciples in that particular gospel. Thus it is written that Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sin would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The truth is God is an evangelistic God. He sent his own son to, to reach us and he expects us 
to reach others. John chapter 20, some of the last things that he said uh, to his disciples, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. One more for good measure, his very last words to his disciples on the Mount of Olives, right before his ascension, Acts chapter 1, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you shall be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and in Matthew, taking it back to Matthew, to the ends of the age. We could go to those evangelism verses. We all know them, right? Why Matthew 11? Because it is a great text, one that you don't normally think of when you think of evangelism, but it is perfect, especially for the world in which we currently live. I think you'll see what I mean. Let me set the, the context, the first 10 chapters of Matthew um, brilliantly demonstrate that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Beyond any doubt, He was the King. And you get to chapters 11 and 12 very interestingly and find the response of various people to that claim. If you read those chapters, you will find um, that those responses include doubt, <laughs> criticism, indifference, rejection, amazement, blasphemy, and curious fascination. Not much faith. When Jesus walked the earth. Not unlike those responses, not unlike what you will find if you also share the truth about Jesus. Now, now John, the, the forerunner who spoke of the one who would come after him and baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire, whose sandals I'm not worthy to unloose. John, the one who baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. John, the one who heard the voice of God that day say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. John, the one who saw the Spirit then, a Spirit of God descend on Jesus. John, the one who said of Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John who said, he must increase and I must decrease. That John, at the beginning of chapter 11, that John doubted. He sent two disciples to Jesus to ask if he was indeed the expected one to come. You see, John had been in prison by this time for about a year and he was facing some painfully crushing circumstances and some unmet expectations while he was pointing people to Jesus. So he began to doubt, just perhaps like we do when we face difficult trials, just like we do when things don't go exactly the way that we expect. And John did what we should do when we face doubts. He, he went to Jesus and said, I need some reassurance. My, 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 my head wants to believe, but my heart is struggling. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because you see, his was a faith wounded doubt. You ever been there? Faith wounded doubt. God, how can I be in this prison? I've given my life to Jesus. How can I be suffering like this? Do what John did. Come to Jesus. Beginning of this chapter, Jesus dealt very gently with John, 
who just sent these disciples? Are you the one or should we look for another? And Jesus loosed a few miracles for those disciples and said, here, take this as a gift back to John. Tell him there is no reason to doubt. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. John, I'm, I'm, I am doing all of the things the Messiah is supposed to do. I am doing all of the things that only the Messiah could do. Be encouraged, John. I am the expected one. And I want to say to you, wherever you are this morning, we learn from this that when we face doubts, trying circumstances, unmet expectations, there are some things that we can do. We can go to the Scripture and we can... We can see the things that Jesus did, which proved that he alone was who he said he was. We can go to Jesus ourselves in the midst of those circumstances, ex unmet expectations, and express our struggling hearts. And, and, and we can expect Jesus to continue to pour out his miraculous grace all around us if we're just willing to open our eyes and to see him at work. As those disciples turned to leave, Jesus began to address that ever-present crowd. Everything I've said up to now is introduction. You see, there was a chance that these people, having overheard the conversation, would think less of John <laughs> for his doubts. Just like perhaps some really spiritual people have thought less of you because of your expressed questions and doubts. So, so, so Jesus had some rather amazing things to say about this man. It culminates in verse 11. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That, for me, begs some questions. What is it that made John great? Further, was his greatness unique? That is, can, can, can only John be so great so as to receive this amazing commendation from the Messiah. No. Because Jesus goes on to say, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What, is, what does that mean? We'll get to that. Let's begin with what made John great. And we'll get to how that even the least in this room is greater than John. What made John great? John, Jesus identifies three qualities, I believe, which made him great by asking three times, what, do you, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? Three times. The first thing we see about John was his unwavering commitment to truth. And my brothers and sisters, we need that today in a culture and society that is jettisoning truth as quickly as it can. We, we see this in verse 7. But what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? A reed speaks of the whispers of tall cane grass that grew along the banks of the Jordan River. The implied answer to this question, by the way, is no. John was not a reed shaken by the winds of culture. Jesus was making a point. John was a man of strength. Yes, I, I, yes, he sent these disciples, and, and I just sent some reassurance to, to John, just like maybe you will need at times. 
He was not, he, he was a man of strength. He did not vacillate. He did not, he was not swayed by public opinion. He did not preach a popular message. The message of repentance has never been popular. His message was not one designed to entertain people, to draw the masses to hear a feel-good sermon. Jesus is saying in the midst of this great trial, which would end in the loss of his head, literally, this trial, which would cause him to, in fact, doubt. He was saying he is not to be considered a weak man. John was strong. He preached what needed to be preached, to whom it needed to be preached, and when it needed to be preached. He was not swayed by popularity or lack of popularity. To be clear, no paparazzi there. He would not make the top 100 list today. Probably didn't make ours. Scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders, and the influential people of the day came to him. John did not change his message. He did not cater his message to them. In fact, his message became stronger. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, the wrath that is coming for you. See the message? He spoke against religious hypocrisy. He spoke against immorality in society embodied in governing officials. And they thought him, listen, they thought him intolerant, insensitive, and politically incorrect. And it cost him his life. John was not concerned about those things. It is why he was in the mess that he was in. He was a man unwaveringly committed to truth. And as I say that, I cannot help but think of Paul's words to us in Ephesians chapter 4. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. If we want to be, listen carefully, if we want to be great people in the kingdom of God, we must be committed to biblical truth, not tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine, by everything that sounds good, not to be tempted by fame or popularity or power or prestige. We must be unwaveringly committed to truth, no matter how unpopular that truth is, even today. Remembering that the cross, that is Christianity, is foolishness to those who do not believe. Of course it's foolishness. Of course we will be opposed. And don't miss that Paul said we must speak the truth in love. Love. Now, not only was John committed to truth, he was a man who made sacrifices for the truth. We see that in verse 8. But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. Again, the implied answer to that question is no. Remember I said at the beginning, great people are not to be considered great because of their position or their possessions. It's a good thing because John had neither. And Jesus makes a big deal about that. He sacrificed, listen, he sacrificed all of the, 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 that this world has, has to offer for camel's hair and, and um, a leather belt for locusts and wild honey. He had neither position nor possession. He was not living in a king's palace. He did not wear a king's soft clothing. By the way, soft clothing there literally refers to effeminate clothing. So get the picture in your mind. John the Baptist, rugged, never shaved, um, shaggy, looking, tough, uh, looking uh, uh, tough, kind of a caveman look with camel hair and clothing, 
hardened by living in the wilderness. He sacrificed all this world could, could offer for the work that God had called him to. He did not pursue this world's soft, cushy entitlements. And I'm suggesting maybe we need a little bit more of camel hair and locusts. But what is it that we prize and pursue? But without doubt, the thing that made John the greatest man ever born is found in the answer, answer the third time that Jesus asked the question, what did you go out to see? Verses 9 to 11, what did you go out to see? A prophet? This time the answer is yes. Y- yes, I, I tell you, and one who was more than a prophet. You see, that in, in Jewish society, there was no higher pedestal for the Jew than that of prophet. And it had been hundreds of years, remember the 400 silent years, um, since they had seen one. That's why they turned out by the thousands to see John. But this was no ordinary prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare you, uh, uh, prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Not only did John have an unwavering commitment to truth, not only did he make sacrifices for the truth, thirdly, John pointed people to the truth. What made John great? Very simply, he pointed people to Jesus even when it cost him. It is a message we need to hear today. Gospel of John, chapter 1, John the Baptist had started his short ministry. In verses 19 and following, we read some messengers had been sent from the Pharisees. John receives the messengers this time, Pharisees in Jerusalem, to ask John some questions, namely, who in the world are you? Are you the Christ? To which John answered, no. Are you the Elijah, the prophet to come? To which he said, no. That's confusing. I'll explain in a minute. Who then are you? John answered, I am am the one prophesied by Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. I am the forerunner. Very simply, John said, I am the one who has come to point people to the Christ, the chosen one, the anointed one, the Messiah, to declare his coming. It's my job. We then go on to read the very next day, John saw Jesus coming to him and he exclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. My brothers and sisters, that is our message. Behold, can you believe it? The Lamb of God who takes away your sin. What made John the greatest man who ever lived? Very simply, he pointed people to the Lamb of God. He pointed people to Jesus. In fact, there's this great story in John chapter 3 when some people came to John and said, Hey, John, um, the people are starting to follow Jesus. See, your, your cousin, remember, he's baptizing them. He's got more followers than you. Interpreted, John, aren't you jealous? How did John respond? He said, You yourselves are my witnesses that, that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, or we'll just say the groom. Uh, But the friend of the groom who stands and hears him, he rejoices greatly because he hears the groom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase and I must decrease. In other words, John, I want you to hear what he says here. Great, my job description is to point people to Jesus. I'm doing my job. That's great. He's the Messiah. They're following him and I am glad. It means I'm 
been a success. John's greatness was not in promoting himself. It was in, it was in promo- promoting Jesus. To which I will say, very briefly, I have a grave concern that many church leaders, mega church leaders, many ministry leaders today are not built on Christ, but, but on the personality and charisma of the leader, the lead pastor, for example. And what happens when that leader begins to believe his own press clippings and begins pursuing fame and fortune rather than making much of the name of Jesus? Verses 12 to 15, Jesus gives a little more information about John being the forerunner, announcing this coming of the expected one. I don't want us to get bogged down in this, but but just let me say, verse 10 is a quote of Malachi chapter 3. Everyone understood that when the Messiah came, his coming would be announced by a messenger from God. And then in Malachi chapter 4, we see that messenger is identified as Elijah. That's why in John 1, the Pharisees asked John, are you Elijah? The, The Jews were expecting a literal Elijah to come. But Luke chapter 1 says that John came in the spirit and power of Elijah, a prophet of God preaching repentance, preparing the nation of Israel for the coming of the Messiah. The the point is this, Jesus identifies John as the one Malachi spoke about. This is Not only was John a prophet, he was much more. How? Not only would he be a prophet, but he was a prophet who was prophesied about. That's cool. Don't get bogged down. The point is, John was great. Jesus says more than a prophet because his job was to point people to the Christ. That's what made him the greatest man who ever lived. While many, don't miss this, while many prophets spoke of the Messiah to come, John alone was the forerunner appointed to say the Messiah has come. The Messiah is here. His greatness was not in his position. It was not in his possessions. It was not in his fame. It, who knew him? Rather, it was whom he knew. It was what he did with that knowledge. He pointed people to Jesus. He must increase and I must decrease. Is that your mantra? To close this morning, let me ask this question. How can the person who is least in the kingdom, how can the person who is least in this room be greater than John the Baptist? I have some very good news for you this morning. You already are. If you know Jesus as your Savior, if you are in the kingdom, you are already greater. How how can I say that? Because there is a sense in which your greatness is determined not by who knows you, but by who you know. And if you know Jesus, he says, you're great. You have a privileged position of grace that makes you great. John pointed to the kingdom that was coming that would be inaugurated by the cross and the new covenant. You are a child of that kingdom, and that alone makes you great. You, listen, You participate in what John announced. It's incredible. But further, I believe our greatness can be seen, like John, by pointing people to Jesus. It's our job. 
See, not only can we point to Jesus as the Messiah as John did, we can point fully to what he has done. We can actually declare the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You, you, you want your greatness in the kingdom to be seen? Then tell others about the kingdom. Tell others about the king. That's what Jesus was saying. I believe that's what is intended here. Fulfill the commission. All of those passages that we could have gone to, do, do that. Go in the power and the authority of the kingdom and preach the king of the kingdom. Tell people about Jesus because position and possessions and fame and fortune, no matter what this culture, no matter what this society, no matter what this world tells us, that is not what will make you great. Stop prizing and pursuing what the world does. You will likely never make it on Forbes' list. And if you do, you will join the likes of Taylor Swift. It does not matter. I am saying to you, you are already on God's list of great people because you are written in His book, you see. Make your greatness seen. Point others to Jesus. So here is my simple encouragement to us as we close. I want to encourage you to go out. Go out the doors uh, of this room today and look for opportunities to speak of Christ. Yes, I know that it will cost you like it cost John. But I promise if you look for opportunities, you will find them. And some of the responses will be the responses of people in Matthew 11 and 12. They, they, they will blaspheme. They will reject. Some will be curious and some will believe. Some will believe. Can you imagine for just a moment what more than a thousand people could do if we left this building today on fire for the gospel? The good news of Jesus Christ. Could you imagine? Build relationships with neighbors, co-workers, and friends, and then open your mouth. We eventually have to share who Jesus is and what he did. Ready? Here's your message. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Stand for prayer. Father, it is incredible to think, to be reminded of what true greatness is. We can be so enamored. We can be so distracted by the things of this earth, especially um, in the country in which we live. Most of us, with the salaries we make, we're in the top 10% of all people who have ever lived in terms of material success. That's not what makes us great. Father, what makes us great is our King. What makes us great is our Savior. What makes us great is the gospel. And so would you help us as your sons and your daughters to share the good news of Jesus no matter the cost? And would you by our, our bold proclamation of the glorious gospel, would you save people and bring them into the kingdom? I pray this in Jesus' name.